0: world today is the immigration issue. What should we do about the millions of illegal immigrants who have somehow found their way into our country? Especially problematic is what to do about the so-called dreamers, the undocumented children of immigrants who came to our country, either legally or illegally. Children were along, and uh, they've never been documented. President Trump is trying to end DACA. This is the deferred action for child arrivals, and people are up in arms. People are marching in the streets, finding other ways to protest this political move. The debate over DREAMers has actually been going on a very long time, about 15 years. Several things have been done to deal fairly with them, provide some way for them to come to citizenship and continue living in the country. The term DREAM comes from a bill originally uh, sponsored by Senator Orrin Hatch in 2002, DREAM stands for Development, Relief and Education for Alien Minors. Now, this is only one smart of the immigration problems that our country is facing. I don't know what you feel about DACA or DREAMers or any other immigrants, uh, you know, the, the whether they're legal wise, and it's not my point to deb- debate them today. So, I just rest assured we're not going to get into some political thing here. I just want to get the plight of aliens on your mind this morning. Because they figure into the Christmas story. People that are not from here. Now, I don't know to pretend to all the, the answers to our current situation, but I want to make a point from God's Word about aliens. And that is simply this, God's for God's for the underdog. God is for the outcast. God is for aliens and foreigners. All through the Bible, we read about God being for orphans and for widows. God is for the poor. God is for prisoners in our prisons. So we can conclude, God is for aliens or immigrants legal or not. That doesn't mean that God approves of everything any of these people do. It means that He cares about them. It means that God cares about what happens to them. And when we go to our Christmas text this morning in a few minutes, we will see that God is for foreigners. God is for people who are far away from home. And He told His people, Israel, be good to aliens in your midst. Because remember, you used to be aliens when you were in Egypt. Remember, for 100 years, you didn't belong somewhere. And finally, I brought you back to this place called Palestine or Israel. Most of us who are Americans and American citizens were immigrants at one time or another, weren't we? At least our forefathers were. I don't know that anybody here could claim 100% Native American status. So probably everybody in this room, as far as I know, is like a second generation or fifth generation or tenth generation resident of this land we call America. Most of us have come from somewhere else. And somehow that awareness could cause a, should cause us some greater compassion for those who are more newly arrived than maybe we might be sometimes. You know, I've often thought when I'm in uh, Thailand or Burma or India, what it would be like to suddenly uproot and move there? What would it be like to just suddenly be living there full-time? It's nice to visit. It's nice to teach. Spend a couple weeks there. But what would it be like to uproot and move into a place like that? And you don't belong. I'm the outsider now. I'm the one who is, is not belonging. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know the culture. I don't even know the language very much. What would that feel like? What would my daily experiences be? How would I get a job? How would I earn enough income to stay? And I think I would start understanding a little bit better what it means for somebody that uprooted and came here from some other country. How many of you have ever visited a foreign country? Okay. Have you ever visited a third world country where things are very, very poor? You've seen the other side of things, and you've seen why the desire could be so great for somebody to come to affluent America and maybe partake of that American dream. So this morning I don't want to debate the politics of all of this. I just want us to see something, and that is that God is for the aliens and those who are far away from Him. God's heart beats not just for His children that are already home. It beats for people that don't even know they're lost and have yet to come home. Way back when God first made contact with Abraham. And He told him, you know, from you, you're going to have a son, and then he's going to have a son, and and this thing's going to grow, and you're going to become the father, not just of a great nation, but the father of many nations. God told Abraham that through all him, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. And so from the very beginning, God has been saved working to save everyone. All races, all nations, all ethnicities. Faith is not just for one nation over another nation, or one race over another race. Faith is for everyone. Amen? So that's what the Bible makes painfully clear. But I say painfully because we don't live there very well. We like our own kind. We like our own ethnicity, we like our own culture, we like our own environment, and so when somebody comes in and disturbs that and challenges that just by their very presence, it's uncomfortable and painful. So let's look at our text this morning, it's in Matthew chapter 2, because some foreigners show up in Jerusalem, and I want to see how they're received. Just the first couple of verses now. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. You must be thinking this morning, who were these Magi? Who were these wise men? What is their significance in this Christmas story after all? Well, to the Romans and the Hellenists, the Magi were magicians or sorcerers. You know, They had little magical arts they could do. They were also priests and wise men, advisors to kings. And if you explore their history, you find out it's pretty interesting. Way back in the 7th century B.C., 2,700 years ago, the Magi were in an a, a, a hereditary priesthood in the Babylonian, Persian, and Parthian empires. And they had worked their way into the courts, of many kings. They often possess great political power because, in many kings, they were the king makers. Kings getting ready to die, or the king suddenly dies in battle. These are the guys who come together and help the country figure out who's going to lead us now. I think the first time we see the Magi or wise men in the Bible is during the time of the Jewish exile, 586 BC. You'll remember in that exile that God had brought judgment on his people. And the, the Babylonians had taken a bunch of them away to Babylon. And they, there were some guys in there. One of them was named Daniel. Remember, he had three friends. Who, who can say the three friends' names? Okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Very good. And so these four guys are part of a group of young Jewish men who seem to be men of promise. And so the Babylonians recognized them. They said, let's bring them in and let's get them ready to serve the king. Let's, let's make our nation even greater because these guys from another place can add something of benefit. Which I thought it was a pretty wise thing to do. And so they start grooming them. Daniel rises to prominence very quickly because he has a special gift, and that is that he can interpret dreams. But it comes to play very quickly in Daniel's story, if you've ever read Daniel because the king decides he's going to put all of his wise men, all of his magi, all of his advisors to the test. And the way he does this, he says, I had a dream, and I want you to interpret it for me. Well, that's probably not that unusual. But this time he said, you have to tell me what the dream was first. I'm not even going to tell you what the dream was. So you can't make up something. I'm going to expect you to give me the dream and give us interpretation, and if you don't, Three days from now, you're all going to die. And so the guys start scrambling. The wise men are are going crazy. Daniel's in the mix somehow. And Daniel goes to his friends and he said, we need to pray to God that there will be some revelation, some way that God makes this known to us, to me. And God does. He tells him the dream. He tells the interpretation of the dream. Daniel goes before the king, is correct in everything. The king is so impressed when all the other wise men can't come up with a thing. Daniel is is so impressive that the king says, I'm going to elevate you now. I'm going to put you up over everybody else. You're going to be very high in my kingdom now. Well, it pleased the wise men short term because it saved their lives. But long term, they had lost position. They had lost power. And so they started looking for ways to get rid of Daniel and his friends. They finally come up with a plan because they know Daniel prays every day, three times a day to God, that they're going to get the king, unbeknownst to all of their plan, all of their conniving, to issue an edict that says if anybody prays to anyone, God or man, other than the king, then that person is to be executed, to be thrown into a a den of lions. They know Daniel will not follow that law. And so very quickly, Daniel is brought on charges of praying to someone other than the king, and he's thrown into the lion's den. Thankfully, God protected him and saved him, and his enemies were actually fed to the lions instead. Now, these are the magi that we know from Scripture. And in Jewish mindset and Jewish history, these were the forerunners of the very same guys who have now shown up in Jerusalem. And so they don't have a very good context, a very good attitude, Towards Magi in particular, because they were evil, conniving, power-grabbing advisors to pagan kings. This is the Jewish mindset, and all of a sudden, these guys are showing up. There were not just three Magi, as our nativities often portray, but a whole company of Magi, a whole company of of maybe Calvary. accompanying them to protect them, because they're now going deep into Roman territory. As I've noted perhaps before, magi shouldn't even be in our nativity scenes at all, right? Because they didn't show up to at least a year later after Jesus' birth. So be careful about that, not, not uh, misleading people when, when they're actually on the scene. These magi in particular had another gift, and that must have been, must have been astrology. And they had noted something different in the sky, and they sought out its meaning. They noticed this new star, this different star. They never noticed it before. Maybe it was brand new, maybe just undetected before, and suddenly it is rising. And they're wondering what it means, and they're searching the meaning of that. And somehow they got led to uh, this, maybe from Old Testament Scriptures, maybe from some other place that, that God gave them some revelation. And they said, this must be a new king in Israel. And they made their way to Israel, presumably to Jerusalem, because that's the capital of Israel. That's where the king is. Maybe the king had a new son. And they show up asking this question where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? They were very unexpected worshipers of the Messiah, more eager to worship him than even the Jews that were close by. Now let's read this whole text together this morning Matthew chapter 2. Starting with verse 1, we'll repeat those first two and go on down through verse 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east. We've come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down, and they worshiped him. There they opened their treasures and they presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi were powerful outsiders suddenly thrown into Jewish history. Their appearance challenges King Herod's hold on his kingdom by asking, where is he that is born King of the Jews? Now that's news to him. He's like, that there's no king that's been born recently. What are you talking about? It's no wonder that Herod was upset and he got all of Jerusalem upset with him. He didn't know about any other king that had been born. And since he himself had bribed the Romans in order to gain his kingship, he wondered that maybe some legitimate king would now lay claim to his throne. When these kingmakers from Persia showed up at his court They presumed Herod had a new son or maybe a new grandson, but no, he did not, and they're surprised as well. Once he had heard that there was a new king, Herod wanted to know where he should be born because they didn't know. They're clueless. And so he turns to his priests and his teachers of the law, and he says, "What, what do the scriptures tell us? Apparently, they didn't know the answer right away because by the time they come back with an answer, the Magi have left the court. Maybe even this the next day. And now, instead of bringing them back in front of everybody, it says, Matthew tells us, that Herod brought them in privately, secretly. And he tries to uh, give them this instruction. Okay, you're going to go to Bethlehem. This is the place you go. This is the answer that was given me by the experts. You go to Bethlehem. You find this new king, this Christ, and then you come back and report to me because I want to go worship him also. But it was simply a devious plan. Really, his plan was to assassinate the new king before he could ever threaten his own kingdom in any way. Now, commentator Craig Keener brought out a contrast that I thought was pretty, pretty good. He said, think about this for a minute. Here you have the king of the Jews, King Herod. You have all of his court, which are... Jewish people, Jewish leaders, you have the Pharisees, you have the teachers of the law, you have all of these main priests that the Bible talks about here, and all of them should live in expectation of a king, of a Messiah coming. God had predicted, He had said it was coming, nobody's looking for Him. Nobody even knows how to look for Him. They don't know where to look for Him. And suddenly, when these guys from 600 miles away show up, asking where is the king that has been born King of the Jews, they're all like terrified. What are we supposed to do? How, how are we going to do this? And so the contrast is very quick to see that the people closest to the action, the people who should have been anticipating it, looking for it, miss it. But people 600 miles away, they got it. They got the message. Okay, Lord, you're doing, you're doing something great here. We're going to give all of our, our, our money and our time to go search this out. We want to find this king that is born in Israel. And so a great expense to them, themselves, they travel 600 miles. you got people 600 miles away that get it. People 6 miles away don't get it. They miss it. Somehow this story reminded me of a parable that Jesus taught during his earthly ministry. It's called the parable of the banquets in Luke chapter 14. Jesus said that there was this wealthy man, a, a great master, you know, a great man in the community, decided to have a great feast, and he wanted to invite everybody. He wanted to bring all of his friends, all of his associates in, and have this great banquet. But as he did so, the invitations went out one by one They kept making excuses. Ah, I bought a field. I can't go right now. I just got married. I'm I'm going to go on my honeymoon and spend time with my wife, but I cannot come to your feast. I can't take time for that. I've just done this, and I can't come. And one by one, they excused themselves from the banquet. The master was angered by that. And so he instructed his servants, just go out and find the poor, find the lame, find the blind, find anybody that we wouldn't normally bring to this feast because they're invited and we want them in there. We're going to fill up the place with them. And so all these people are brought in, and the servants come back, and they said, you know, there's still room. We still have more food. We still have more, more seating. Uh, we have more room. And the master says, go out as far as you can. Go out into the country. Go into the highways and byways and compel anybody you can find to come in to my great feast. But know this as you go, that those guys I invited first, none of them will be seated at my banquet table. This is what Jesus did at the birth of Jesus, His Son and our Savior. He invited the Jews and those closest to the action to come, but they refused because they were too wrapped up in themselves, wrapped up in their studies, wrapped up in their lifestyle. And even when Jesus grew up and He showed Himself to be their Messiah, they rejected Him, and they even killed Him. So God invited those who were far away, out on the edges, people who were the least likely to ever be invited. And he said, come, you can have a seat at my table. You can have a front row seat to what my son is going to do here on earth. And the Magi in uh, Christian history were the very first Gentiles to worship the Christ, the Messiah. They came 600 miles to see the child when the Jewish leaders wouldn't travel six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see the same child. Let me encourage you this morning to be like the wise men, not like King Herod or even like the Jewish leaders. Let me encourage you to take away just some uh, practical things from this message today, from this lesson of this Magi story. First of all, I just want to encourage you this morning to seek God with your whole heart. You know, we, we like to seek God with part of our heart. We like to seek God when it's comfortable or convenient. We're kind of like those people resisting the banquet. You know, if I don't have anything else to do, yeah, I'll do it. If I don't have anywhere else to go, yeah, I'll go to church. Uh, If I don't have anything else that's pressing on my schedule, then I'll talk to somebody about the Lord. You know, we make these excuses, but what we need to do is seek God with our whole heart. Be like the wise men seeking God, whatever it costs them. Whatever good God has already given you, pursue it. Seek it out. Learn it. And then look for the next thing that God wants to bring to your attention. Learn from the mistakes that Herod and the Jewish leaders made. You know, Herod, he's all fearful about his position and his power and his, his uh, wealth. He has already murdered some of his own family members because he was afraid they'd take over his throne. And now he is threatened by a baby boy. So much so that he has all of the baby boys of Bethlehem killed so he was sure to have killed off the competition. He couldn't even get old enough to be competitive for quite a while. This is this paranoid, self-serving, miserable man. And he's miserable because his whole attention is on himself and what he wants out of life. He knew that his time was just about over. In fact, Herod died within a short time after this. And yet he refused to repent refused to seek God. And even the religious leaders, <laughs> here were men that should have known better. Here were people that professed to know God and to live for God. Their whole life was about God and God's service supposedly. They thought they were close to God, and yet they were just as far away as their pagan king, their ungodly king Herod. And what made matters worse was that they thought that they knew what was best. They they walked in pride. We know what we're doing here. We know how to find God. We know what it means to live for God. And here comes the Son of God along, and they reject Him because they didn't even know how to recognize the real thing. Sometimes we become quick to criticize everyone else, but we need to seek God with our whole heart. Wherever and whenever He speaks to you, pay attention. Pay attention and obey whatever He says. You will never regret that. You will never go back later and say, Man, I wish I hadn't listened to God. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. Because He knows the best way for your life to go. And then you won't miss what God is up to. You will be part of what God is doing if you seek Him with your whole heart. Secondly, be like we've learned here today. When you seek God's heart, you're going to discover that God's heart is for the whole world. He loves everybody closer you get to God, the more you'll realize that God loves everyone, even people that we would never choose to be around. He loves the alien. He loves the foreigner. He loves the disenfranchised. God loves even the worst people on the face of this planet, even those who have rejected Him and refused to even acknowledge Him. Those people who malign us, because we're Christians, those people who criticize us because we have values and standards, and we say this is what the Word of God says, and they say, no, you're intolerant. You're you're just prideful, and, and you don't have a heart for people. Those people who say that and malign us and criticize us and oppose us and attack us, God loves. It's hard for us to love them. It's hard for us to give them that same kind of love, but that's what we want to learn. Because God is out there. He's in favor of the people who are farthest from Him. And He doesn't care how far anybody gets from Him. He still wants them to come home. He still wants them to repent and to embrace the truth. No matter how far they've run away, He still wants them back. He still wants them to come home. Have you seen that in His Word as well? I think you have over and over again have you experienced that in your own life have you seen people that were far from god then embrace god later in their life think of the apostle paul was a person so full of pride so willing to to give of himself and his energy and his time and his life if he had to to oppose christianity but when he met christ he did a total about face and surrender to Christ. What does John 3, 16 and 17 says? It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Well, who does God love? The world. <laughs> that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God loves the world. And as close you get to God, as close... Uh, you get to His heart, as you open your heart to Him, you're going to start feeling that love. You're going to start having that kind of love. It's not natural, maybe. It's not part of the natural man or woman that we are. It's not part of our fleshly nature. It's part of what God does as He changes us and transforms us. So seek God with your whole heart. Then discover God's love for the entire world that and thirdly open your heart to people that others reject this is hard love them as God loves them God loves them and so will we when we are filled up with his love now I don't know who the specific people are in your life that are hard to love but you know because you avoid them you won't go over to where they are working you won't go to where they live if you see them coming down the street, you cross over to the other side because you don't want to get into a conversation with them. These are the people that God is calling you to love. Maybe they're people in your life of other ethnicities or races or cultures or religions. You know, Maybe they, they just don't mesh well with you because you've already had those conversations and you don't want to get into it again. People may be people that are unfamiliar and com- uncomfortable to you. We don't understand them. And perhaps maybe we fear them in some way. Maybe we criticize them even though we don't know really what we're talking about. God says love them. God says love them. God says learn to appreciate them. Learn to appreciate even their differences. Things you don't understand about them. Things that, that are, are totally foreign to you. Embrace that and love them. Maybe it's people that everyone else avoids. And maybe it's someone in your office or neighborhood that people go out of their way to avoid. Maybe it's that obnoxious person that wears everybody out. They're so needy. Or they're so difficult. And so it's like they've got this barrier around their desk. Or maybe like this invisible barrier around their house. And people just ignore them. People... Go around them. God loves that person. God loves that person who's so far from Him, they don't even know that they're far from Him. And God wants us to love them and reach out to them. Maybe they're people that we consider our enemies. They put us down for our beliefs. They make fun of our lifestyle. They criticize the good that we're trying to do. But God doesn't reject them as His enemies. He knows they're simply pawns in the hands of the real enemy. Who's your enemy? It's not the people. The enemy is the one behind the people. Controlling their minds, uh, putting this veil of darkness so they can't see the truth. That's the enemy. But the people are not the enemy. And the love that we have through Christ is to be given to those that are most difficult to love. You know, I try not to have any prejudices. I'm sure there's some still deep inside me, but I remember back to the very first sermon I preached when I was 17 years old, and I started trying to imagine when that would have been. I don't want to think how far back that was. First sermon I preached was about racial prejudice. And I was preaching in Largo, Florida, my home church, a pretty large church at that time, and uh, everybody in it was a white person. There was a reason for that. And the reason was that anybody else came in with a different color, they didn't feel comfortable, so they wouldn't stay. They might stay a Sunday or two, but then they'd be gone. Maybe somebody would say something. Maybe it was just attitudes. Maybe it was indifference. Maybe it was coldness. I don't know what it was. But as a a boy growing up through that, teenager seeing that and analyzing that, I thought, this doesn't make sense. This is not God's love. And so when I got up to preach... I preached about that. I probably preached pretty harsh. I don't know. Uh, It was a quick sermon. I think it lasted 11 minutes. (laughs) But I made a couple points. I said, this is not right. This is not God's love. We ought to see somebody besides white people here. And one of the elderly elders came up afterwards. He said, I've been waiting for that sermon here for 30 years. (laughs) We got to get this right, people. We've got to realize that God loves everybody, that He loves the foreigner. He's for the foreigner. He's for the person who is farthest from God, and He will do whatever it takes in order to let them know that He loves them. And what it takes often is for us to be the vehicle, to be the the mouthpiece, to be the one who expresses the love to someone else that no one else will express love to, the person that everyone avoids, the person who is the meanest, the person who's the most antagonistic, the most obnoxious person God loves. And we need to learn to love also. Whether they're the same race or ethnicity, whether they're the same culture or not, whether they're the same nation or not, it doesn't matter. Find the people in your life that God loves and start loving them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to look at your word today. I thank you for the magi uh, that even though they're so far away, you called them. And you put out your birth announcement to them. And they came joyfully. They came at great expense to seek out the child who had been born. Help us, Lord, to seek you out with our whole heart. Help us, Lord, in that to discover that you are full of love for people that others don't love. And then help us, Lord, to express that love to the most unlovely unlovable people around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.